Okay, everyone. Good morning. We're all recording. We're all set. Okay. Can you grab a seat? If you've got a Bible, could you turn to the book of Psalms? If you're not sure, just hold it in your hand. It will fall open in the middle. You'll be near a psalm. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to start a new sermon series. Uh, We've entitled Life's Playlist. Now, I don't know what you like to listen to in your life. What sort of things do you like to turn to when you put something on? I have an eclectic mix of things I like to listen to. I love music from the 80s. I'm a big fan of an era I kind of grew up in. I love the old power ballads. I love to put them on. I love to put them on loud. I like to go back to the old soft metal and listen to some of those, crank those out. But I also have a guilty pleasure. I also quite like modern girl power music. Like a little bit of that (laughs) while I'm doing the washing up. Like a little bit of girl power music. But I also like to go um, folk and country as well. So I like to go a little bit of the old Irish music, bit of country, a little bit of go across the, the pond to the States, listen to a little bit of their country music, can't be a bit of Shania Twain. Man, I feel like a woman, you know? <laughs> so I like listening to that kind of music, but I also like to listen to sermons. Um, just last week, one of um, a sermon was posted on our leadership kind of WhatsApp, have a listen to this, so I listened to that, it was an excellent one by John Piper on prevailing prayer. So I listened to that. I found that very stirred, really encouraged about listening to that, about kind of invigorating my prayer life, and I found lots of good things to that. I also like to listen when I'm just clearing up around the house. I also like to listen to stand-up comedians. I just, it makes me laugh. I found a, a Christian one in the States. He's, a, he's brilliant because he's clean. He often has a little bit of laugh about church. His name's Tim Hawkins. If you've never listened to him, he's just, I think he's hysterical. Um, his observational humor just about life and marriage and parenting and, and church and everything else and work. And so there's some of the things I like to listen to. And what we're going to be looking at today is the first one in our new sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. Now, you may not have heard of the Psalms of Ascent, but they are a small collection of Psalms within the larger collection, which is 150 in our modern Bibles. It's got 150 Psalms, which are songs that the people of God sang over the history of Israel, um, of ways of expressing emotions and feelings towards God. And the Psalms of Ascent start at number 120. And they run through to a number 134. And this particular group of psalms were sung by pilgrims who were traveling to Jerusalem for one of the major festivals. There were three major festivals a year in the calendar of the people of God. There was the the Festival of Unleavened Bread or the Passover. There was the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost. And there was the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, it was called. And they were spread out throughout the year. And the people of God were meant to come to Jerusalem for those festivals to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And on their way to Jerusalem, they would have sung these psalms. Now, the word ascent kind of means to rise. Uh, Scholars believe that is to do with the fact that Jerusalem was set on a hill, and particularly the temple in Jerusalem, the focal point of the people of God's worship was set on a hill, the Temple Mount, in the center of Jerusalem. So there was an ascending as they were going up to worship at God's house. And these songs were sung. Now, 
they have a lot of relevance for us today because if we think about life's journey, there are many ups and downs in it. It's not all plain sailing. It can be very difficult at times. There can be times of great elation, but also valleys of great despair. And these psalms reflect that. They reflect the times um, that we have in our lives. So there's, as we go through them, there'll be ones that are quite high praise, ones that uh, express distress or trouble, and we can identify with them because they match our life. And so this really is a playlist for our lives. And what we're going to do as we go through the sermon series, we'll get some of the other leaders of the church up here to come and uh, share some of their life's playlists so you get to learn and meet a little bit more about them, and we'll find out some of their dark secrets about what they listen to, like I've just confessed mine to you. If you want to find out a little bit more about the Psalms of Ascent, you want to read the books, I've got a couple here. I've read a bunch in preparation for this. I've got Alec Matias Journey here, uh, Psalms, uh, Psalms of Pilgrim People, which I found excellent, really good at talking about the Psalms as a whole, as the group of Psalms is sent as a whole and fitting them in, and a great exegesis of them. There's also another one here called Journey to Joy by Josh Moody, which is a little bit more devotional, but again, really good at getting into the Psalms of Ascent. If you want to come and have a look at these, uh, you can. Please read them, get into your own study or there. If you've read both of those, I've got at least another three more that I've read that come to me. I'll give you the titles of those as well. But if you want to learn a little bit more about the Psalms of Ascent, do that. Now, as a collection of 15 psalms, they broadly follow the pattern of one's journey to Jerusalem. But you can actually break them down a little bit further. And I've put it up here on um, the board. Can you put the next one up for me? Now, the psalms of ascent, they actually break down into little groups of three that are like mini journeys. The first one of the group of three is usually a situation of stress, which is what we're going to start with today. You're welcome. Psalm 120. Then there's the Lord's power to deliver, and then there's one on bringing the pilgrim um, home to God's city. And then it goes back to the beginning. So Psalm 123, you want to be here in a few weeks' time. When we go back to Psalm 123, it'll be another situation of distress, and so on and so forth. So they come in little groups of three, and then the final three actually are all about being in the holy city, God's city, and worshipping and praising God. So as we go through these, be thinking about that. So next week we're going to be looking at the next one in the little trio, and that will be all about God's power to deliver. And so that's how we're going to go through the Psalms, and I'm going to start by reading Psalm 120 to you now. So it's going to appear on the screen. If you've got it on your Bible, you can follow along. It says this, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I journey in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Oops. I don't know what the next bit is now because I can't see it. Oh, there it is. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. All right. What we've done is we've named the Psalms after a song. And this is this one's title. Go. That's not it. Sorry. We practice this. To be fair, I landed on this on them about half an hour ago and said, I want to do this this morning. This will be awesome. We could just get it right. Are we going to get there or am I going to have to give it away? I'm not singing it. <laughs> I am not. You don't want me to sing it. It would be bad on so many levels. He's, he's just doing an interpretive dance. I'll give you, it's just so, 
I told you you didn't want me to sing it. Anyone tell me the artist? Billy Ocean. Don't boys own me. Oh, covers. No. Billy Ocean. And I think it was a theme, uh, theme of one of those. I think it was Jewel of the Nile or Romancing the Stone. Way back when. But the going gets tough. I told you it started out with situations of distress. So here is our first psalm. When the going gets tough. Now the big idea we're going to look at today is that we live in a world that is tough. And there is hostility. But as a result, we are to return to God in prayer. Now this psalm, as we've just read, is the first of the trio. So it's basically focused on stress and distress and a difficult situation a pilgrim might find themselves in. And so what we've got is they've set out on their journey to the city of God. But they find themselves in a difficult situation. They are in the midst of people who would oppose them, who would seek them harm. They are traveling through a dangerous world. And particularly in this psalm, we see this reality that actually we live in a hostile, difficult place. It's not all plain sailing following God. In fact, it can be very difficult to follow God. And the structure of this psalm, if you want to just put the structure up, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at remembrance, prayer, a warning, and then finally a lament. So there's not lots of fun in this psalm, but it is relevant to us in what we're going to do. Now the psalm begins with a remembrance. He says, In my distress I call on the Lord, and he answered me. So the psalmist begins their journey by reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. We know from reading the next couple of verses that they're in a very difficult situation. But before getting into that situation, before bringing that to God, he's actually saying, do you know what? God has kept me safe thus far. God has looked after me, and he reminds himself of the faithfulness of God. Interestingly, the festival that they would have been traveling to, whichever one it was, is a festival designed to remember God's faithfulness. Think about one of them like the Passover. The Passover that they would have traveled to Jerusalem and celebrated, which they would have done for hundreds of years, goes way back to the book of Exodus, which is a way that God put in place to remind them of their freedom from slavery in Egypt. They were a slave people. They were under the rule of tyrant. God sent Moses to them. Pharaoh, let my people go, plagues, etc. Then we have the final one, the death of the firstborn, the Passover, kill the lamb, blood on the lintel. And as they came out, God says, you're going to remember this. You're going to remember that I saved you, that I led you out. And everything associated, Red Sea, into the desert, giving of the law. You are my people, my treasured possession, God said. And so when they went up to Jerusalem, when they were going to celebrate the festival of Passover, they would have been forced to remember what God had done for them. Remembering. And so remembering was vital for the people of God to look back, to say, actually, God has been faithful to me. He's been faithful to us as a people. He's continually looked after us. Even when we've been faithless, follow the story of God's people, not great. Not great. They've messed up so many times, but God has been faithful. And the, the key to this remembrance is actually who he's crying out to. It is the Lord. He's not putting his faith or trust in his own abilities or anything he had or even his nation or a king they may have had, or the structures of government, a law, or anything like that. No, no. He's putting his faith and trust in the Lord. He's the one he calls out to. He's the one who can save. He's the one who can deliver. He's the only one with power 
And then it says at the end a wonderful bit. It says, and he answered me. He is reminding himself of God's gracious care. God has looked after me. God has seen me. God has answered my prayers for deliverance. God has been there when I'm needing him. When times have been tough, when the going got tough, God answered me. God was with me. God was leading me. God was guiding. God was carrying me through that horrific situation. And that's how these songs begin. These psalms begin. They begin with remembrance. God is faithful. God is good. God watches over his people. And the second part of the psalm is a prayer. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And so he's reminded himself of God's capacity to deliver, to look after him, to watch over him. And then he comes back to God to pray in faith. Lord, deliver me. Watch out for me. And it says, what is he going to deliver him from? He says, a lying lips from a deceitful tongue. So we have, um, uh, you see an example there of parallelism, because Psalms are poetry. They often state things twice in uh, different ways, but it's the same thing. Lips, tongue. is obviously pointing at the mouth there. Something has happened in the psalmist's life where he has been verbally attacked. Something is going on. We don't know what, it's not clear, but we can surmise. Someone has been lying about him. Someone has been saying slanderous things about him. Someone has been gossiping about him. Someone has been saying things behind his back, running him down. All these things are happening. Maybe they've been cursing him to his face. We don't know. Maybe they've just been saying heinous things about him, spreading rumors, all that kind of thing. He has been under pressure because of things that have been said to him spoken over him, whatever it was. And if you've ever been in that situation, it is horrific. You know that thing, what's it? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Names will never hurt me. I, think, I found in my experience and experience of people I've talked to, actually, I'd rather have the sticks and stones, actually, than actually someone say evil, vicious things about it. Because they can cut deeper. The wounds can last longer. They take a lot longer to heal those kind of things, when people say vicious, evil, cruel things about you. And the psalmist is in that position. And if you've ever been in that position, you can feel um, angry and you can feel like you want to uh, respond, you want to shout back, you want to say no, you want to go on the offensive, whether it's physically or verbally yourself. You said bad things about me, do you know what? I'm going to run you down and say bad things about you too. That's a kind of a natural response when we are attacked. But what does the psalmist do? He cries out to God. He says, deliver me, O Lord. He doesn't say, deliver me myself. Let's strap on my sword and my shield and go and, you know, open a can on somebody. No, he cries out to God. The same Lord he's just reminded himself of in the previous verse will deliver him has watched over him, has answered him in prayer, and he's saying, God, deliver me from this. His hostility, his anger, his pain is not channeled against the perpetrators of the crime. They're not channeled against maybe his spouse, children, people around him. They're channeled directly at God. God, these people have said evil things about me. They've said vicious things about me. They've told untruths about me. They've just been cruel about me. They've gossiped. They've lied. They've they've slandered me. They've made my life difficult at work, at home, with my friends because of these things have come in. Life has just been hard. 
because of what they've said. People are now not talking to me who used to talk to me, not being my friends anymore. What's going on? And he channels it all straight back to God. He comes towards the one person who knows the truth about all situations, who knows everyone's heart, before whom everything is exposed, and he channels all his energy there, and he pleads his case before the Lord. The next thing, we have a warning, verses 3 and 4. It says, What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? They warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Now, he's prayed, and he's now asking kind of a, a rhetorical question. And he's personified his enemy, and he's saying there's this deceitful tongue. They've, they've come against him. What's actually going to happen to these people who've said evil things about me, these people who've lied and gossiped and spoke ill of me? What is going to happen Well, the picture that follows a warrior's sharp arrow with glowing coals of the broom tree is actually a picture of God's judgment on them. If we go into the New Testament and read the book of James, it's a really interesting section all about the tongue and how dangerous it can be. But James makes it very clear that actually we are responsible for every single word that comes out of our mouth and we will face the consequences of them. There's a judgment for what we speak. We will be judged by our words how we talked to one another, how we treated one another. And this is being played out here. There is a judgment on these people who have spoken ill of the pilgrim. And he uses his image of a warrior's sharp arrows. Now, back in the day, with the weapons, a bow and arrow was the equivalent, I guess, of our modern gun. It was the bullet. You shot someone with an arrow, pierce them, it could kill them, get a vital organ, it could go through armor, and it, it, could just, it would devastate you. But not only was it the um, uh, equivalent of a gun, it was actually also the, the ancient equivalent of a bomb because you could light the end of the arrow, put something burning on it, and fire it at your enemy, fire it over walls, and if it landed in wood and hay and straw in a very dry country, it would burn. So you could cause incredible devastation with this. And the interesting thing, apparently, I did some research, did some reading, the broom tree was known for producing charcoal that burnt for a long time. That was, that's why it's in there. Why the broom tree? You think, oh, I don't really know much about the broom tree. But the point is, there is a burning that will last a long time. And this is a picture of God's judgment on these people who've been saying these evil things. And actually, there's a a lasting judgment. Arrows, burning arrows that are shot into a city could lay waste to an entire city. If it caught, if nothing was shot in, the whole place would burn to the ground. And he's saying the words can be like that. They can be devastating. The power of the tongue can destroy It can destroy lives, it can destroy homes, it can destroy marriages, it can destroy relationships, it can destroy job prospects and futures, it can destroy churches. If it's not contained, he's saying this is vital, but those who spoke, those who tried to lie and deceive, says there's a judgment coming on them. We have to be wary of our words, and if you go through the Old Testaments, there are Times when it comes back, this in the Psalms and the Proverbs, that actually those who speak quickly, speak early, they will, be, they will suffer the consequences of what they've said. 
And the psalmist obviously is pronouncing that actually you may have said evil things into my life and it's caused me pain and suffering, but actually it will come back on your head. The words you've spoken, they don't just go kind of into a void. They actually have, in God's economy, they will return to you on what they're doing. And then finally, he finishes with our lament, verses 5 to 7. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell amongst the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, a lament is an expression of sorrow and pain and weeping. And if you study the Psalms, scholars sort of divide them up into groups depending upon their content. They have Psalms of Thanksgiving, um, about thanks. They have some that they call sometimes called royal Psalms, which point about to the king, even the coming king in Christ. But the biggest single group, which accounts for about a third, depending on how you cut it, is the Psalms of Lament. I don't know if you realize that. A third of the 150 contain um, lament, expressions of pain and sorrow and suffering and grief. And this whole idea of lamenting is somewhat alien to our British, modern, Western, 21st century mindset. We're very much more the stiff upper lip. It tends to pervade our culture. We tend to keep our feelings in. If we see great expressions of emotion, both positive and particularly negative, it will make us uncomfortable. Um, and shit, you know, what are they doing? Pull yourself together, love. You know, chin up, all that kind of stuff. But actually, when we go to what God's people and how he would have us think, actually, we're actually not getting it right. There are expressions of sorrow throughout the Psalms and throughout Scripture. When things go wrong people of God, they express that pain and sorrow. It's probably a lot more healthy way of dealing life. If you're in pain, you say it. One of the worst things psychologists tell us you can say to kids or people who are crying is, shh, stop crying. They need to express their emotions and process it without bottling it up. And so the psalmist is in a position of pain. He's saying, whoa, this is a really horrible situation I find myself in. And he uses this Image. He says, it's like that I sojourn in these two places. One is Meshech and the other one is the tents of Kedar or Kedar. What are those places? Well, those are two places that are basically the furthest away from Jerusalem I imagine the psalmist could think of. Because Kedar, Kedar is in the southeast. It's actually mentioned back in Genesis. Interesting, the people there who dwell there were known for their skills with the bow. That's interesting because that's what you just mentioned. But that's right down in the south, a long way from Jerusalem in the south. And the other place, Meshach, is located in the north, the other end of the nation, right out the other side. So we've picked two places, one end of the nation to the other. John O'Groats to Land's End. You know, what's the two furthest points I can get away from where I am? That's what he's picked um, there. And he's saying... It's like I'm journeying, I'm living in these places that are far from the center, where God's presence is in the temple in Jerusalem, where God's people are, where they're dwelling in the land that God promised. That's where I kind of want to be, but it's like I'm somewhere else. And these two places represent um, pagan nations who didn't honor the God of Israel. They were hostile to God's people, and so they weren't good places to dwell. You you don't want to be there if you were an Israelite and follower of the God of Israel, because you're in a foreign land and they, you know, they wasn't going to be sympathetic towards you. And he says, I, I feel like I'm dwelling in these places. I'm trying to live there. 
And I'm dwelling amongst people who hate peace. So these people around him who are attacking him, says they hate peace. They prefer war. And when he means peace here, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's that word shalom, which in the Jewish mindset didn't just mean peace. It meant wholeness and being. It meant a complete sort of rest across everything, emotionally, physically, mentally. It meant that kind of God was there and everything was in order and harmony. He says that's what he wants to live his life. He wants to live his life following God. He wants to have that order and harmony and know God's presence with him. But he is surrounded by people who don't want that, who don't want to honor God, who don't want to follow God, who want to say evil things about people who do try and follow God. And he says it's like being in a war. I'm like, I'm, it's like a battle, a conflict. I'm trying to live like this, but I'm surrounded by people who are trying to live the opposite. And there's obviously tension and there is clash and there is, there is, there is you know, danger there for him. And that's, what, and that's how the psalm ends. <laughs> Told you they weren't all happy ones. So that's where he is. It's like he's, I'm going to Jerusalem and do you know what? How's it going? Life sucks, basically, is what he's saying. He knows God has delivered him in the past, but where he is right here, right now, it's really difficult for him. He's finding it really hard. So let's look at a few application points, and then we'll finish. The first thing I want us to take away is the reality that life is tough. The going does get tough, says Billy Ocean. It really does. Life is difficult, not just in a general sense. There's the general sense of actually, you know, hardship and pain and suffering and ultimately death. But actually specifically for followers of Jesus, specifically for those who want to follow God and live godly lives. There will be particular hardship for those people. If you're a Christian here, there's particular hardship for you. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have Trouble. You're welcome, he said after it. <laughs> I never see that on those Facebook posts with a sunset. You know those ones, they put verses on there and there's a dove or a kitten or a sunset or just something nice. I never see, in this world you will have trouble, Jesus, at the bottom. But that's what he said. He said, you're going to have trouble. He also said, I've overcome the world. But he didn't say, you're not going to have trouble. You are going to have trouble. He never promised health, wealth, and happiness and an easy life. In fact, he promised the opposite. He said, you will face trials and you will face temptations and you will be lied to and you will be slandered about and you will be persecuted and some of you will be killed for me, he said. And what this psalm is teaching us, reminding us, is that life is tough, that we have an enemy The devil who hates us, who wants to come and steal and kill and destroy. We have the world who wants to shape us into its mold that is not honoring to God, that hates God and and wants to go in the opposite direction of him. We have even our own indwelling sin in the flesh that tries to lead us away from the good things of God. And this psalm reminds us that it's real. And this psalm reminds us that we need to be upfront and honest about it. And the standard pat answer of how is everything going fine is not good enough. Some things might, sometimes it might be fine, but most of the time it's probably not. There are other things going on in life, other things. Good stuff, but also difficult stuff. 
And sometimes we fear that if we do not, if we acknowledge pain, suffering, hurt, struggle, we might appear weak, we might appear uh, ungodly even. Like if you're a proper Christian, you wouldn't be going through that, which is just rubbish. But that's how we feel sometimes. And some of you are going through difficulties right now. Some of you can identify with this psalm so graphically with the lying tongue and the deceitful words. Some of you are being assaulted right now with vicious words. People are saying evil things about you in your workplace, among your friendship group, among the parents on the playground, in your home. People are saying evil and vicious things to you. And that's life sometimes. And that's tough. And when we find our situa- in that situation, we need to be real and honest about it. How are things going? Do you know what? It's actually really hard. It's actually really difficult. This has happened in my workplace. This is happening at this situation. I'm finding it really different. My character has been called into question over this situation. I'm being accused of this. I'm being told about this. People are lying, telling lies about me. And we need to start by acknowledging it and just being honest about it. And saying, this is where it is. And you need to start by being honest with yourself. Because sometimes even we lie to ourselves. We don't even admit to ourselves what's going on. We try and block it out because it could be too painful. We need to be honest with ourselves. And we need to be honest with others. And it's something we try and encourage in our community, in the church here. That's why we have our life groups. Where we can get together in smaller contexts. It's a bit big here. There's too many of us. So we have smaller groups where you can go, got a little bit more time, you get to know some people, and you can just be honest about how you're doing. This is me. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on in my life. This is the challenge I'm facing. If you are not in a life group in part of the church, you are a fool because that's how we care for you. You need to be in that place so we can look after you, so there are people around you who can ask you questions, will listen to the answer, will pray with you, will stand with you. They might not be able to solve anything, but they can just stand alongside you and just be with you and know you as a person and know how you're doing. We've just got to be honest and acknowledge sometimes that life is just difficult. The second thing, prayer is the key. Prayer is the key. Following the example of the psalmist, we are to take this all to Jesus. Following the example of the psalmist, I think it's always good to start with remembering what God has done. He did. You remind, oh yeah, you've delivered me in the past. It's always good to remember. Remind yourself what God has done in your life. It's a great opportunity at the beginning of the year to reflect back over the previous 12 months and do that. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. Just take a moment, take out a little bit of time, remind yourself what God has done. Write it down. Just go through the months of the year. Go through an old calendar and say, look what God has done. Look how God has brought me through that situation, how he answered that prayer, how he provided this thing, how he just carried me through it. Remind yourself what God has done. Even in our life groups, we, we put something in place to remember every time we meet. It's something Jesus put in place. What did he tell his disciples to do? He said, I want you to share bread and wine in remembrance of me. Jesus actually put something in the foundation of the church so that we would remember. We ask our life groups to share every time they meet, as they eat together, or pray together, doesn't matter where, but they take that moment to share a bit of bread, bit of wine, 
Remember what God has done for you. Remember the cross. Remember his sacrifice. Remember he rose from the grave. He is ruling and reigning victorious in heaven. And one day he will return for all his family. That's what we're to do. But the second thing we're to do, and the one that the psalm focuses on, is that when we face hostility, we are to cry out to God. That's the place that we go to. That's our primary place of dealing with this. Now, why do we do this? Number one, he already knows. He's not surprised. Jesus, I need to let you know that this is going on at work. Jesus falls off his throne. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Can you catch me up on the situation? He already knows. It's no surprise. So by going to him in prayer, you're merely acknowledging it. You're merely being upfront and honest about with it, about someone who already knows what's going on. Next thing is he can cope. Sometimes we don't share with others. We think, Do you know, are they not going to be able to cope with this information? Are they going to be able to carry this emotionally where they are? Are they going to be, are they going to be strong enough for this? I don't want to burden them. Jesus can cope. He's sustaining everything right now. All eternity is being sustained by him. This creation and everything in it, you breathing in and out, he's sustaining it. So adding on, by the way, this situation in my life sucks, he can cope with it. Go to him in prayer. By the third thing that we do this is because it forces us then to acknowledge it. It forces us to be upfront about it. It forces us to articulate it. It forces us to speak about it. To actually name it and say, this is what's going on. This person is saying this evil thing about me. And we can be honest about it. The other thing is, he's also not going to tell anyone. So you haven't got any worries about it going wider if you don't want it to. But this psalmist pours out his heart to God and what he's doing, how he's feeling. And he's feeling a bit judgy as well, which I think is okay. This is going on, and do you know what? There's going to be a bit of judgment. That's fine. If you want to articulate your feelings, you should get all of it out. Anger, pain, whatever it is. And this can take many forms. You can speak it out. You can write it down. There's crying. There's wailing. There's shouting. There's screaming. All those things are perfectly acceptable before God. In fact, encouraged if that is how you are feeling. It shouldn't all be kneeling quietly and, you know, like... Are they still alive? You know, you've got to nudge them kind of thing. Sometimes we have to be demonstrative in our prayers. And sometimes shouting and screaming is a good thing. I suggest maybe not near other people who don't know what's going on. That can freak them out. But, you know, taking a walk. We've got a big park. Yell and scream. No one else is in the house. Yell and scream. Get it all out. Pour out your heart to God. Because as we do that, it can help us put things in perspective. It reminds us that we have a Father who loves us and who's listening to us, who's watching over us, who cares for us. It reminds us that he's sovereign over everything, all situations. And it reminds us whatever we're facing, he has the resources to help us. He's carried us safe thus far. He will carry us all the way home. And so when we're facing a hard times, some of you are facing it right now, really difficult situations. We're to turn to God in prayer. We do that on our own. We do that in our life groups. Again, another great reason to life group just to share, this is where I'm going. Pray together corporately as a church. People you meet, we pray in our prayer meetings. We turn to God in prayer because when we're facing difficulty and it comes again and again and again, we are to turn to God in prayer. Because as we learn in the Philippians series just before Christmas, as we pray, we get God's peace. It guards us, it guides us. It doesn't necessarily change the situation, but we can cope with it more. So why would we not pray? Final thing, 
Jesus is our model. Jesus is our model. Interestingly, if you think about it, Jesus was the ultimate pilgrim in a foreign land. He came from heaven to earth, born as a baby. He faced opposition from every angle in his life. There were this, um, the religious authorities had things, his family, his disciples. His family thought he was mad at one point. We found that in Mark 3. People thought he had demons at one point. So this guy's got a demon, he's possessed over there. Find that in Matthew 12. He was misunderstood by those around him. They just didn't get him. He's ultimately betrayed by a close friend. He was lied about at his trial and falsely accused. They told lies at his trial, which got him condemned. And then ultimately led to his murder. He knows what you're going through. He can sympathize. He's been there. Yet, in all those situations, if you follow Jesus, we find he turned to prayer. He turned to prayer. Find him praying in desolate places, it says. In his most agonizing, difficult time, which was the Garden of Gethsemane, what do we find him doing? Praying. Praying, God, this is what's going on. Praying. So agonized were his prayers that he sweated drops of blood. He turned to God in prayer. But Jesus went through that, so ultimately we don't have to. So ultimately we don't have to. Because of his perfect life, death, resurrection, ultimately we do not have to face the ultimate punishment for our crimes or our rebellion against God. He has paced that, he has, he has um, taken that for us. And no matter how hard our journey is on this life, ultimately there is a destination. We will one day reach a heavenly city. And we will be with him forever. And in that heavenly city, there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears and no more lies and no more opposition and no more slander. And we will be with him forever. But as we travel between now and there, he's given us something to work with. He's given us prayer as a way of expressing our pain, expressing our suffering, expressing what's going on and finding peace and resolution to keep going and heading towards our final destination. So we've got a choice now, church. We talked last week about going deeper with God. There's a choice we have to make. We've got to continually make this choice. What are you going to do now as a result of this? Are you going to acknowledge what you're going through? Acknowledge this is life, this is the situation. Even it might be something you need to acknowledge that's gone through in the past. Maybe it's something that happened a while ago, but I never faced, I never, I never stood up to it. I just kind of left it, hid it, pushed it down, never told anyone. It kind of stopped, but I'm still living with it, and I never, ever spoke about it. I never got it out, what was said to me, what was lied about me. And maybe that's something you need to bring out now, but it's actually been maybe even years are you going to be honest about it? Are you going to make that choice? Are you going to say, God, this is what's going on with me. This is what I face. This is what they said about me. And it was horrible. And it hurt like Billio. Are you going to do that? Because there's a choice now. If you're not a believer here and you don't know Jesus, I want you to have the opportunity to come and talk to him maybe for the first time. Jesus loves you. He is for you. He knows everything that you've gone through. He knows what's happening in your life. He died on a cross in your place for your sin. He rose bodily from death so that you could know him and be with him forever. And he loves you and he wants to talk to you and he wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to live life with you now so that one day you will be with him. Do you want to stand? I'm just going to lead us in a response. Can the band come up?
And I think there's just a moment that we need to take. I think we can start something now. I'm not sure we'll be able to finish it all now because there might be things you need to go and do, people you need to talk to out of this. But we can definitely make a first step, which is you talking to your God, to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to lead us in a moment of prayer. I'll give a moment of quiet as well for you to just have a moment of reflection. And then we'll um, hand over to the band and they're going to lead us and we're going to sing a bit as we finish. So you just want to close your eyes. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for what you faced. We want to thank you for what you went through, Lord, so that you know exactly what we're going through. You weren't restricted from pain and suffering and trial. In fact, you faced it, and actually you faced it way worse than we ever could because <laughs> you were perfect. You'd done nothing wrong ever to anyone, and yet you bore that great punishment. Lord Jesus, I pray as a people you would give us grace today to just acknowledge sometimes life is tough. Life is difficult. Bad things can happen to us particularly in the area of evil words spoken over to us by others. They might have been done intentionally. They might have just been done flippantly or ignorantly, but they still hurt and cut deep. And Lord God, we want to just take a moment here just to acknowledge that. And if you know that something's come to mind, that someone said to you, it might have just been a phrase, a word, something a friend or a spouse or a teacher or a boss said to you, I want you to acknowledge it to God and say this thing and it hurt. I want you to take it to him now in prayer. And if that means sobbing a bit because it hurts, just do it. Please don't stop because you think we'll all look at you. Get it out. Get it right out. Jesus, I want to thank you for the gift of prayer. I want to thank you that we can bring things to you. I thank you that you are never closed for business. You're always open. You're always there. You will pour out the Holy Spirit on us to enable us to walk through this. You will give us grace and peace to cope with whatever comes. You thank you for the family you've put around us who will stand with us, who will love us and pray with us and accept us and walk with us. Thank you for this great gift of the church that you've given to us, Lord Jesus. I'm going to hand over to the band now, but we're not done in this area. You just keep, if you know there's things you need to bring to God, you do that. We're going to sing a bit, but if you need to do some business with God, if you want to grab someone, you do that too. Um, And then we'll see if God wants to say anything else to us. Amen.